0: The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Hey, welcome. You know, as I've said before, there's always two high points in a series for me. Usually the one, the, the first Sunday when it begins, like, oh, it's something new, you know, I'm going to try it. And, and then when it ends, oh, fine, it's over. No, I mean, it's like, you know, we're, because I'm on to another one or something. So let me tell you up front that this is going to be actually longer than we have done a series in quite a while. This is going to be 10 weeks and this will uh, lead us into and take us to about Easter and then we'll look at another series right after that known as The Truth Between Us, Among Us. And uh, the thing about this series that I am excited about and and I'm eager to share with you is uh, is the book and the subject of the book, which is John. Um, this, what's, you know, if you guys have gone to church for a while, or if you've have you been, you know, have any kind of church language or familiarity, you've heard of the word gospel, right? And and maybe the better way to to talk about these four gospels in the New Testament is just call them what they are—they're biographies. You know, about ninety-eight percent of what we know about Jesus is from these four guys. And each one of them has a uh, a perspective that they bring to the table. So when you first read these biographies of Jesus, you know they may it seems like there's information that overlaps. Like why is this being re- repeated? Now I will tell you that a, a key to Middle Eastern literature is repetition. You know if they were in the West and they had PowerPoint, it would be in bold or underlined. You know. But there wasn't PowerPoint back in the day. It's hard to remember when there wasn't. And uh, as we're looking at the slide here, a stranger in a strange land, there is a, um, it was repetition was the key. And so when the author repeated a certain phrase or a word or an event, it was to draw your attention uh, to that particular uh, subject. And so today we look at um, Jesus, you might say, by John. This is John's experience of Jesus. And what makes this book unique on on many levels, and some of you who you might have gone to a a class or, you know, in in a church environment, or maybe even at a college, or perhaps you even took, if you took a Western Civ class, they might have covered some of this in some ways. The first three biographies of Jesus have a very unique um, sort of viewpoint. And for that reason, they're actually lumped together and known as synoptic, or this one view of Jesus from three different angles. But John does something very unique and different in that he... He writes his book and tradition and you know, some historical and, and uh, graphical evidence for this and you know, points to it. It's most likely the last tit in about 70, 80. And I'm, I'm thinking that probably at, at this point, um, well, he's, he's the last surviving you know, band of those original 12. Um, just to give you a, maybe kind of a picture in your head of this older man, you have to picture, you know, somebody like ZZ Top, you know, very long white beard and uh, without the glasses. You know, that was funnier up here than when I delivered it. Um, there we are. And, um, but if, if tradition is correct, he, he would be uh, completely scarred from having been boiled in oil. And he had that powerful experience in uh, an island uh, known as Patmos, which is off Greece. And he wrote a book about it called Revelation, not Revelations, it's just one book, Revelation. Um, He was a pastor of a church in Ephesus. Um, Church had some rocking pastors. Started by Paul, took over by John, you know. Um, And um, I, I wonder if there was ever a time when he maybe looked around and saw other young men and people as the message and the movement known as The Way was catching on. He wondered, you know, I wonder if there's anything left that needs to be said. You know, if there's, if there's something I should put it down on paper. You know, I'm just projecting, obviously. And, and he just f- felt the need to write it down. Like some of you, perhaps when you know you're, you know, when you're leaving or others, perhaps some of you have had friends or family members that uh, were ill and, and they wanted to say something that was important. Before I, before I never get a chance to say it at all, I want to say this to you. And so this is how I feel the book of John. And... And in this particular book, he, he tells us a, quite a few things about Jesus in a, in a very tight, tight package. And how he's condensed in time is also interesting. He's going to pick seven unique, you know, well, I'll just say the word miracles or unexplained events. Or he says in his biography that the others don't use words for. He calls them signs. Um, to point to Jesus, and he's the only author that says, I am writing, I'm telling you right up front, well, he tells it in the back of the book, but I'm giving you the reason why I wrote this. I'm putting my cards out on the table. The reason why I wrote this is so that you'll believe. So the seven signs that, that he points to and uses, and the seven titles, the, the, the seven titles, by the way, before I get to it, the seven titles that Jesus does use will, in some cases, point to uh, what we call the Old Testament. But for the Jewish folks, it was their holy book. So Jesus absolutely, and you don't have to believe this yet. I'm willing to concede this may not even be true, okay? I mean, I, I can start there with you. But Jesus absolutely makes claims from the culture, the literature, and the mindset of the Jewish people that he is God, not I can tell you about God. I've experienced God. I can talk to you about God. I'm him. All the titles were meant to help people understand him. Who is he? You know, um, is he just um, an enlightened individual, fully actualized, to use Maslow's phrasing? Is he healthy and functional? Um, does he have a full sense of self-awareness and understands his Myers and his strengths? You know, uh, he went to yellow twice and he really gets it, you know. And, and every single time when he mentions that phrase, he absolutely, in our English it sounds normal, but in, 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 the, in Aramaic, he absolutely uses the phrase of each title uh, preceding it with the phrase, I am. Now, it may not be that meaningful, I mean, that much to some of you, but in, in, if you were Jewish at that time, you would know that Jesus, as a devout Jew, was grabbing a name of God from Exodus and attaching it to himself. So, <clears throat> think about it. When, yeah, I'll do this. Every picture of Jesus I see, and I, 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 this is not to be disrespectful, Okay, so you know this is going to be disrespectful, <laughs> <laughs> right? With all due respect, you're an idiot. You know that ever, ever that phrase when everyone ever says oh, i all due respect" and then there's no respect given at all. But at, I will be iconoclastic here in just a moment. I I I I cannot get into any image of Jesus that I see normally because he looks like a girl, right? He. And, and, and his, his skin is soft. He's always, you know, um, like elusive and far away. And, and, and okay, I, again, just don't hate yet. But, I mean, because there's plenty to hate for later on. But it's like he's wearing a gown. You know, like, man, that guy took care of his skin. He looks awesome, you know. And I just, you know, that is not somebody that's a threat, this is why I'm saying this. Who he was and what he said was so disturbing that the occupying power, government, military force, had him executed. He was so um, threatening, as a, as you know, as a provocative, a radical, um, that folks who were attempting to connect with God and teach and lead. A nation of people of how to believe in God in spite of the reality that they were experiencing wanted him dead. And so every time I see this effeminate, smooth skin Jesus picture that's popular and so common in our, in our culture, like, honestly, that's not a threat. Um, what he said, unfortunately for many of us, We have the curse of knowledge. We're so familiar with the story that it no longer means anything. And so for that reason, we don't feel it the way that his audience might have felt him or experienced him. I mean, come on. His own family actually thought he had stepped over the fragile line of sanity into the realm of insanity. Um, folks wanted to, you know, pick up stones and execute them on the spot in some cases because of things he said. And they weren't offensive, like, you know, gosh, your mom dresses you funny. And you're ugly, you know, that kind of thing. It, it was, isn't this strange? The very words he spoke that would, you know, be transformative to people at the soul level caused others to hate him to the point of wanting to murder him. So, you see, that's why these other images I see of Jesus that are pretty well-known and famous, no, nope, that's not him. I do picture uh, a man, if this helps us, maybe not, but I have the mic so I get to say it, 5'7", um, five, five, tops, uh, and I mean, he's not that pale-skinned, sickly, tuberculin Jesus. I've seen those paintings, you know. I mean, he, he lived in the Middle East. I mean, it's the same latitude as Los Angeles. <laughs> Someone said, no. So, anyway, so rate, uh, you have the sun, the desert, worked with his body, so probably a little more muscular and fit, you know, um, than the paintings have been. Uh, and and, and if the stories are true in the scripture, you know, I think they are, he still has his body. And I think some of us, first, that might be actually kind of, kind of a new thing to even consider, you know, that when he physically, literally arose from the dead, it wasn't just so he can have a body to say hello to people and then left it behind somewhere, you know, like, okay, I'm off, I'm not going to need it where I'm going. No, he kept it. And John goes on to say something else further about him, that he still has the scars from his time here. See, I don't think we picture that either. So the four biographies of Jesus, each one paints a picture, unique. It, it's almost as if you have, a, if you were an investigator of the traffic accident, you know, you had the accident happens in the middle of the intersection or so, and there's people at each corner, and what did you see? And each one would have a, 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 you know, a perspective on what they saw and there would definitely be some overlap because they're, they're observing the same event, right? But each one would have a unique um, perspective as well. And so this is one way I think to help process those biographies of the Gospels of Jesus. Um, traditionally, and it's another word that maybe we're so saturated with it's hard for us to wrap our minds around it, the word gospel just means good news. And I know that the history of church has been in sharing the good news is let me make you feel bad about yourself and everything that you do or, the, or a thing you do so that I can tell you that Jesus has forgiven you. And that's been the way we've decided to transfer our faith, which is not in the scripture. I, I, I don't know, I guess it caught on about 100 years ago, 80 years ago, and that's the method we're married to. And, and yet, if we're honest with ourselves, that's, for many of us, that's not how, quote, the good news of Jesus' life spoke to us. For some of us, it was the idea that there was. Okay, let me just throw out some generalities here. For some of us, it might have been just the idea that somebody loved you, that you were enough. That, that somebody chose you who knew you. Because if, if there's two things I, under, I know that people need, I'm convinced of, is that they need to be known and loved in that order. Because if you're just known and not loved, it just confirms what you think about yourself. I'm not lovable. If you're loved but not known, then you know it's hypocrisy. And, but if they knew you, they wouldn't love you. and So you, you, you're challenged with that. But to be known and loved in that order is what every human being needs. Period. And then when you find out that someone who really does know and who really cares care and is really unlike you in every way says, I know you, I love you, I'm choosing you, period. That's good news for some of us. For some of us, it's the idea that someone is for us. Or we have, quote, finally, a father in heaven. A father, let's just say a father who loves us. He's not going to hurt us. And no matter how great some of our dads might have been, it just can't hold, any, can't hold a candle to the Father who is in heaven. Uh, so, you know, the good news could be, uh, <clears throat> you know, someone who will never leave. It could be a number of things. So then, um, but let me tell you the favorite title that Jesus always uses of himself. It's, it's known as the Son of Man. You know, once again, being Western and being so far removed from the culture, that may not really, you know, mean a whole lot. Except that um, for a a Jewish audience in the first century, that is an absolute uh, title, another name for being a Messiah. Now, okay, Messiah, big deal. All right. Take take the presidency. Who's the, the popular general right now? Someone like Petraeus and... Who is another economic guru person? Army? Ben Bernanke. That's him. A Bernanke guy. So you have the presidency, a military leader, an economic leader. And then, then somebody like, a, a, I'll just say Billy Graham for lack of, someone else another name. Combine all of that together and then some, and that's the idea of the Messiah. See, the Messiah wasn't... If you were a, a Jewish person, uh, your background is... is, is ethnically a Jew, you lived with the history that colored everything about you in the first century. As a matter of fact, you, everywhere you went in Israel and primarily in Jerusalem, there was a stamp of the previous Greek culture. There was a constant insult to you. So in some cases, when you hear people who, who push back against the, uh, maybe the American forces or American occupation in their land, you kind of get a feel for what people might have felt uh, regarding uh, Greek culture, and the attempts of the Greek to wipe out um, Jewish culture, Jewish belief, and then then there's the current reality: we're occupied and by a Roman or the Italians, right? And their symbol, an eagle, and their glorious red banners, and then their soldiers, and and the you know, the arrogance that comes with power, unchecked by character. They had to live with that. And so, <clears throat> the idea of a Messiah to them was somebody who would be like David, or maybe somebody from history, the Maccabees, who who pushed out uh, foreign foreigners from their land, and they could be freely inhabit the country that they believe God gave them. That was a dream. And so when Jesus talked about a Messiahship, that he was the Messiah, he was, quote, the Son of Man, and that's the title he used all the time, about himself. Boy, you have to understand how that resonated with people. Like, maybe this could be the Messiah. Maybe. I mean, after all, he's got a zealot in his band, a political terrorist, but also in the band was a, a tax collector who was a sellout to the country, you know. He also is given the name, or gives, a name, gives himself a name known as the Bread of Life. Maybe not a big deal for us, um, because we have such a, a, a resource of food available. To, But some of you know, that if you've been to different countries or have watched documentaries, you understand the amount of effort and time that's spent in acquiring, making, producing, and just having food. How much time is spent daily on the quest, preparation, and the eating of food. And so when he says, I am the bread of life as a staple at that time, and as it is in many cultures still, he was saying that I have a life-giving role, unique that no one else has. I am the bread of life. I'm not like a slice of bread. I'm not like part of the bakery. I am el pan. You know, I am the bread of life. <laughs> As the um, light, light of the world, he would have said something, uh, well, how to put this? English. Um, you know, light is always a universal symbol for truth, Right? So he's pointing that out as well. Uh, I am not just somebody who can sort of explain things. I'm not just another wise person, though I am that as well. I am the light for the Jewish culture, for, uh, for this culture, uh, maybe at this time. No, for the world at all times. So he's saying something. Look, see, th- this is what I, I hope that you, as I've had to wrestle with this again and and still and, and then it, I'm trying to feel like what, what would it be like if I heard this for the first time? Okay, let's be honest. Doesn't it sound crazy? So I mean, let's be honest. I mean, Doesn't it sound crazy to believe in something invisible? Especially if you're educated. Especially if you're past five. Right? See, but that's the curse of knowledge and that's the curse of, of familiarity is that we just, you know, we don't feel it for as, as foolish as it does sound. So let's say Jesus is making this claim, this statement about himself. I am the light, I'm the reason, I'm the meaning, I'm, I'm everything, not just now, but for all time. What you're left with is the, is the, you know, kind of an either or thing. Either it's true, and then there's consequences because of that. Or it's not true, and there's consequences because of that as well. I had a friend recently, uh, we were talking about this and, and uh, the scriptures and truth and that, all that stuff. And he said, well, I just can't get there, and I don't believe the writings of this. And I said, well, listen, if, if you don't want to you know, consider the Bible as maybe a source of truth, then I hope you have a very wise person in your life who can help you manage life. Because that's what you're left with. You're rejecting a whole body of information that could help. I mean, okay, you don't want to get to wrap your mind around the Jesus thing. I can tell you, still, living the life as a follower of Jesus, you'll still be healthier. Now, of course, that's always my back door into, well, if you try to live the life of Jesus, you're going to discover, wow, this makes sense. Maybe Jesus wasn't crazy. So he speaks himself as a light. Another... um, he says he, of himself that he is a, a gate for the sheep. Um, you know, maybe not a phrase that, that is meaningful to us. Uh, well, Kyle, you, who, where, where is he? Oh, yeah, oh, there. So, how many head of cattle does your family manage? By five thousand. Okay, a lot of care for animals and right. There's yep. gates and have to manage all that. All right. So, <clears throat> sheep, an important animal in that culture, and. Um, So he was saying, and and sheep were always a metaphor for the people of God, that I care for you because the sheep, unlike cats, cannot take care of themselves, right? Cats are like the animal hipsters, aren't they? They have this disdainful look as they look at you, you know. There's always this playlist going on in their head, you know. If they had opposable thumbs, they would wear a scarf. But the point is, is that... I know, it's stupid. But that's what you pay for. Um, but he's saying, I, I am like the, the Old Testament picture of Jehovah when he calls himself shepherd. I'm the gate for the sheep. I care. Um, and not only that, but I'm also the gate in terms of caring, but I'm also the gate for the sheep. I'm not just a portal to God. I am the portal to God. Especially when he adds the phrase before that, I am from Exodus in the Old Testament and speaking to a Jewish audience. He's making some some absolute claims that, again, either he's crazy and insane, or he's telling the truth, and that has, you know, gosh, what do you do with that information now? Um... The other one, uh, Good Shepherd, we've talked about um, the resurrection and the life, the source of life, power over death. Uh, some of us have gotten to the place where, you know, you're not in chronic pain, or maybe you're not, you, you have a job, or, you, you know, you have a family, kids, I mean, you you recall how, what it was like to be in junior high and high school. You couldn't wait to grow up so no one could tell you what to do anymore. And then you find out for the rest of your life, you'll always have somebody telling you what to do. You know? It may not be a person. It could be your checkbook. It could be your car saying, I'm not going. <laughs> Joke's on you. I'm just coughing. I'm not really going to start. You know, <clears throat> But there's, there's, that, there's that place some of us get to where we think, well, now, when I get to be an adult then I'll be happy. Then you go, oh, okay, once I get married, I'll be happy. Once I get a divorce, I'll be happy. You know? yeah. Once I have kids, what, I mean, whatever. You know, there's always that thing that once we get to, we're gonna be happy and fulfilled, and we think we're gonna finally have our life. The problem is, is that some, many of us get there and realize this is not it either. And like, oh my gosh, now what? You know, I'm, I'm, what do I do? I'm too old to start over. Or I'm too, I don't want to start over. Or how do I know that what I do pick this time is going to work? So Jesus says something very interesting about himself. When he says, I I am the source of life. I am not just the source of life in the um, sense of being physically alive and capable, though that's part of it. But but a life that actually I thrive from the inside out. Um, There's a sense of pleasure. Satisfaction. Gratitude. Gratitude. Because, I mean, mean, I've been in those slums where even if it's a sunny day, you resent it. You know, you're eating something that normally you would enjoy, but it's like dust and ashes. Your bed, it seems like a a slab of cement. Everything that normally brought you pleasure seems to be dull and gray. And he says something, I bring life to life. More than that, once you realize that... um, and some of you might have had this place too. I remember my first visit to a counselor. I think it was 27 or so. Um, was married. I had all three kids. My wife was married too, and I wasn't just alone in that. And uh, but I was or I was struggling at the idea, like, so this is it. This is it for the next 20, 30, 40 years. You know, not that I wasn't happily married, honey. I mean, I was just very. This, that was the one bright shining you know moment. But I was still looking at 40 years of this, like, or 50 years or 30 years of it, you know, and I was like, so it just seemed like there's gonna be nothing new or something, you know what I mean? And so I went to go see somebody, I remember I was, I was talking about what was going on, I go, man, you're having your midlife crisis early. I said, well, I'm always an overachiever, you know, I wanted to get there, <laughs> wanted to get there on time. And um, because I thought, after all this, then you die. Right? Have you, you heard that phrase, life is, you know, difficult, then you die, right? <laughs> you know, the way it's normally said. So um, so what's the meaning of it? What's the purpose of it? And if that is what it is, then why do, better yet, if that is what it is, if that's reality, that life's kind of a struggle, and then you die, then why would I deny myself anything while I'm still alive? I mean Anything. What's off limits? How can you call something wrong? If I just die anyways and cease to exist, then anything's open. <clears throat> so when he says something about having power over death, it's, it's not a warning to me, like I'm going to have to answer for my life. It's a safeguard for me, for my insanity, for my darkness. Uh, More than that, he says he is the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is the method. He's the pattern. He's the message. He's the meaning. Once again, not just for this first century Jewish culture or band or immediate audience, but for everywhere. It strikes me funny that we think now as followers of Jesus in the West that what seems odd occasionally is Jewish believers in Christ. Right? And yet, you know what was odd to a first century Jew? That there be Gentile believers in Christ. And yet, right now, previous hours and hours to come, there's people around the world that do this. In Asia, Europe, China, undercover. Undercover. Korea, in Egypt, our Coptic friends, the two in France, three, okay, more, okay, Um, our friends in Ethiopian cultures and Indian cultures, some of it exuberant, some of it a bit more sedate, in high church and in basements for fear of authorities, Our family gathers in the name of Jesus. And this first century Jew speaks to them. They get him. And they actually believe, okay, glad you're sitting down, that he gets them. You know what's funny? I think we're okay with people saying, I talk to God and I pray. But once you say the phrase, and God talks to me, okay, loser, weirdo, you know. (laughs) But they believe that, that he talks to them through the scriptures and impressions um, and their emotions. They sing songs like some of us did this morning and somebody will get up and share a talk from maybe a page of scripture that they prize or from worn out Bibles, from paperbacks, some on iPads. Around the world there 's um, another phrase he calls himself the vine," which really has two parts to it because the the other half of it was a, and you are the branches, and so in a way, it goes back to this life thing again that as you know if you're maybe, maybe you guys like gardening anybody like gardening all right, okay, the rest of you are healthy so um, my wife was out there doing stuff, you know, and I, I'm fascinated by gardening. I mean, I can watch her do it for hours, and um, <laughs> thank you very much. I'm here all week. Um, I, know, I do know this. If you, want, if you want a bushier plant, correct me, those of you who garden, correct me if I'm wrong, but not publicly. If you want a bushier plant or more flowers, you have to prune, right? But, if, but once you prune that thing off, it, it dies, Right. <laughs> Thank you very much. Marvel at my biological uh, big brain, you know. So what he says here is that I'm the branch and you guys are vines. This is the, this is the life connection between us. Not, now, this is not a physical sense. So that, again, part of it. But he's saying something about your spiritual thriving, your spiritual health. Now, most of us probably eat or do something that, you know, none of you ever think, I want to eat this so that I feel bad. This, I'm going to eat, I'm tired of feeling good and having energy, I want to be constipated, lethargic, and break out. I have an order of this. Though last night at 10.30 when I was in line for McDonald's, I didn't four square because I was ashamed of myself. Worse, that I ate it in bed watching a movie. And then this morning, honestly, to show you how stupid I am, when I woke up, I was like, oh, my oh, why did I? how do I feel bad? I go, oh, that's right, idiota. You ate McDonald's last night in bed. All right, I got off track. But I thought I'd share that with you. Um, he says this. So I have to bring it back like herding cats. <clears throat> This is what he says. Look, I bring you life. I'm not asking you to like, behave and be good so that I like you. That's been settled. I love you. But if you connect to me, I will give you life that you have not had before. And you won't have apart from me. And, and for me, it's always propositional. Propositional. Or you could be cut off from being wither and die. Because that's, that's the part that I'm thinking in my head. Now, if you're like me, I've tried the withering thing. Not so good. I mean, this is just throwing it out there. Didn't care for it. And, um, but there's more. This is just the introduction stuff here. There's a lot of repeated words. When John uses this, he's trying to draw your attention to some of these phrases. So as you read the book of John for the next you know, 10 weeks or so as you're going through it, You'll hopefully notice that that these are phrases that he does repeat. At the end of the book, he does give us the reason why he wrote it. I wrote this primarily, well, the reason I wrote it is that I want you to believe. He, he, He tells you up front what his goal is. This is the best way for me to summarize the life of this man that I knew, the person that I experienced, the Messiah I believe in, the Jesus that, that rescued me, is this. Here are these seven signs. Here are these seven phrases. This is what you need to know. If you got this, this will help you believe. And he, that he tells us the reason why he wrote the book. And it's not, look, it's not like he, you know, I'm not going to put this. It's not that John's got an ax to grind. Like, I need more people to believe in Jesus so they can vote Republican. You know, that's not his issue. You know, he said, I want you to have life. I've experienced this. And by the way, none of us have this problem, right? You you find a, if you get a good deal at H&M, you tell all your friends, you know, you're excited about it. You find a a new place to have sushi. You tell everybody because you're excited about it. That's what John's experiencing. I have found life. And I, I want folks to know. And so here, before I pass, and I no longer have my physical voice to share this, I'm going to put this down on paper. I'm a witness to this. I'm a, I can, this is my experience. This is my story of, uh, with God in, in the person of Jesus Christ. And then the, the signs that he gives, he does actually give in, in a specific order. In fact, um, this uh, verse here is from John 4.54. He does have a sort of a linear way of writing um, but, but instead of calling them miracles He does call them signs And, and this is something unique Because he, he points out that these were perp- The purpose of these quote signs Was to be a spark for a conversation Between Jesus and somebody Or a talk that he gave to a group For example uh, We're not going to turn there um, It was signs in general That compelled Nicodemus To talk to Jesus And Jesus and Nicodemus have a one on one it was um, the healing of a paralyzed man in chapter 5 that led to a large talk about health and life, spiritual health and life. It was the feeding of 5,000 people in John 5 that led to a talk of the, of the title, The Bread of Life, in John 6. They're linked. In fact, some of you who have read John, you, you know, you, 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 if you'll notice, if there's a sign, there's a talk that, that complements it. <clears throat> and even this, uh, and this metaphor is uh, um, the, the metaphor of sight for spiritual truth when Jesus heals a blind man on a holy day so of course you're not supposed to do it the folks who were in charge of the religious and spiritual care of the nation said oh I Oh no, we can't have this going on. We can't have people getting their side on a holy day. They tossed him out of the church community. Isn't that crazy? You're done. And it's that um, sign that leads to Jesus talk about himself as the good shepherd. Which makes it more lovely to me. Because he stands up for against religious bullies. He cares for people who um, they got so crazy insane in love with him that others who should know better or claim to know knew him said, well, we're done with you. And people who were blind he wants to give vision to. See, I, I, I think about the good shepherd image for me is that some of us have had those periods in our lives when we think, I understand why God loves you, but he couldn't love me. I understand why God cares for you, but he couldn't care for me. I understand why God lets you in, but he wouldn't let me in, because there's something that keeps us, right? Man, if there's nothing you get from this Sunday, if you get this, this will set you so completely free, That it is that thing specifically that Christ came for to connect with you. I I, uh, you're misunderstanding here son. I not only have I given my life so that that is not a barrier between you and I but you don't need to pursue me. I've been pursuing you. I am the good shepherd who cares for his people. And then there's the three, I don't know, crisis, you might say, um, in the life of Jesus, you know, in, in chapter six, chapter 12, chapter 19, this should be on the screen. In chapter six, when they wanna make him a king. In chapter 12, when they call him the king, El Rey, you know. And then in chapter 19, as he's hanging, about to be, you know, crucified, murdered, um, when that same crowd of people says, we have no king but Caesar. That's our allegiance. And so at one level, you know, after they you know, call him king or want to make him king, they leave him anyways. Um, after they call him king, they reject and pass. and well, maybe he's not the king. And then, of course, as I mentioned in chapter 19, they just um, kill him. So back to the way and the truth and the life. When Jesus has this conversation in John chapter 14... He's trying to help these guys understand something that he understands and he knows they're not going to get. And that is this. I'm going to be executed in a very horrible fashion. And you're pinning your hopes on me as being a, a leader that will somehow you know, make all the Romans disappear and I'll sit on you know, the Jewish White House, the throne of David, and I will have it'll be peace and security and justice. There will be shalom finally in the land. That is not going to happen. For a long time. But I want you to know I am the way and the truth and the life. And, um, you know, like many of us, even those guys who had spent two and a half plus years with this teacher, this man, this, this Jesus, didn't get it. You know, it was just kind of unclear. <clears throat> And for many, and here's I think some of the propositional things we have to deal with. If he is the way, let's just suppose this is true. I'm willing to go with you that it's not for you right now. But let's say it's true. If he's the way, why wouldn't I move with him, walk with him, and follow his rhythm? If he is the truth, why wouldn't I believe him? when he speaks in areas of my life that even I don't want to obey yet. You've had those, right? We all know this, right? It's not obedience unless you don't want to do it. (laughs) Right? It's only obedience if you really don't want to do it. Because if you're okay with it and doing it, you're just doing it. I mean, it's great that your life patterns match the pattern of Jesus, but if you, it's obedience when you don't want to do it. But here's what I'm going to suggest, that if you, if you don't believe he's the truth, then are you maybe embracing confusion? Embracing and moving away from reality? I mean, uh, if you're saying that I don't think this is true, okay, what's your test to know what's true? Because you have something you're buying into, and then how do you know? That the test that you're using, the test for reality, is a, is an accurate test. I mean, how do you know you're in reality? How do you know you didn't take the red pill yet? I mean, I mean, how do you know? How do you know? And then they call him the life, and murder him. So two questions as we close. So what? Really? So what? I mean, who cares? How many of you have actually, even as a follower of Jesus, you you were up at night, almost a little beady of sweat, wondered, what if this isn't true? Have you ever wondered? What if? I mean, why should I care? I mean, what if it's not true? Now, I can tell you my conclusion of what I chose if I if this is not true. But I'm not going to tell you. I will tell you though. What if it is true? You know, occasionally people ask me uh, because, you know, they find out you're a pastor or if they find out you're a religious person, Christian specifically, oh, so you believe people go in hell. What? Okay. What if you live, though? I mean, you're you're talking about death. What if you continue to live? This is the question I have for you, you know? Okay, so here's back to this. What What if everything I just mentioned here Is true, what if the story of Jesus is true? What would that change? Now I don't mean, man, I really need to stop cussing, I really need to stop smoking, I really need to stop drinking. It's not just, you know, see, I I think we think about Christianity, listen, this is you we are cheapening the whole Jesus thing if we're thinking it's stuff that I do. It's who you become human for the first time. See, I, I'm convinced everything else that we do, in many cases, even if it's quote, good, it's just trying to get by. Well I mean what would you what would you accept as proof that the story is that this Jesus thing is true? Right? Um, who this, and this raises the other question then who has the final say in your life? Who has who's the final authority in your life? You? A, a, a voice, another person, a set of guidelines, and what are the principles that you use to manage your life with? Because you, you do have them. You may not have uh, consciously articulated what they are, but you have something that you live by. Are they reliable? And if they're not, why are you using them? In fact, are they in alignment with, with reality? <clears throat> in fact, if anyone's ever said to you, Dude, are you crazy? You might not be living your life by principles that are in alignment with reality. And what if the most important thing that could be known can't be known and must be experienced? You know, that, that for it to be proven, it has to be trusted first. For it to be received, it has to be accepted first. For it to be understood, it has to be believed first. And this is why the book of John is that weird, you know, mystical sort of journey right to God. And you end up, am I going to cross this line and say yes? And step into a new experience and become another stranger in a strange land or am I going to say "Mm, nope either way you're welcome to journey with us but this is what we're going to be exploring for the next 10 weeks all the statements of Jesus and those signs (laughs) to come to a conclusion is he actually who he says he is or just some nutty guy that made some crazy statements and a few of them he hit right so I hope you'll join me in this Father, uh, what I pray for the folks that are here, my friends, myself, is that we would, um, especially for those of us who are familiar with the story, that it would strike us once again the implications of the life of Jesus, that it is not normal, um, and how we have often measured normalcy, that if it's true, you have something to say regarding Everything from our careers, the way we manage our money, how we manage our sexual lives, our what's a healthy human being, what defines a healthy human being, what it means to be human. And for our friends who are maybe, you know, that, that stepping into a connection with you through Jesus is still in their future. What I do pray is that you help us articulate clearly what Jesus has been saying all along. That they would hear his voice clearly. That they would recognize it. That they recognize that they've been having this conversation with you all along. They just never knew it was your son's voice. That they would recognize that the voice and the words that caused them to thrive and to have hope is you calling. As you pursue them. Uh, This is not a journey I feel even ready to take or equipped to share, but I thank you that you are (laughs) the good shepherd that leads all of us in this community. So thank you. Amen and amen in your son's name. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.